If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. Patrick Henningsen talks on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, ladies and gentlemen, all right, welcome to the program here on Tuesday. You're listening and watching TNT, today's news talk. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. Thank you for joining us. We're going to have a few amazing guests going to weigh in on some very, very important stories here in the first hour. Uh, We're going to hit finance. We're going to hit the markets, the Red Sea. How's the Yemeni situation? How is that affecting the global markets? We'll talk to Blake Lovewell uh, about that in the first hour. And also we'll be joined by Basil Valentine for some breaking updates. Uh, we'll look forward to that as well. In the second hour, we've got a very special guest, journalist, uh, writes for a number of great publications, including uh, The Gray Zone. Kit Clarenberg is going to be joining us uh, in the second hour. Very important conversation. We'll be covering Gaza, Yemen. We'll be covering lots of things geopolitically, politically in the UK, outside the UK, and beyond. Looking forward to that conversation with Kit. He's a great journalist, and he's definitely on the front lines of the information war. So that's going to be a pretty impactful segment. So you want to be around for the second hour for sure. Now, uh, let's go to some global news uh, headlines. And uh, as you probably heard, uh, there was some exculpatory, potentially exculpatory evidence buried by the uh, vaunted January 6th committee, uh, led by the likes of uh, Liz Cheney and Jamie Raskin, Adam Kinzinger, and other sort of, I don't know, dubious people in Washington uh, who would destroy evidence or bury evidence. And this is the thing. Uh, when this whole show, show trial began, a lot of people were worried uh, that there would be a cover-up of exculpatory evidence, things that would exonerate some of the political uh, targets that they had, thousands of political targets that this committee and the FBI had set their sights on, basically anybody who supports Donald Trump, who either was or wasn't even in the Capitol on January 6th, uh, 2021, they would be marked uh, for special trials special trials, not that they committed any federal crimes. Some of it's just trespassing. Some people were just in there taking selfies with their phones. Little did they know they would end up in federal prison, some of them for very long sentences. And meanwhile, there were informants, uh, patsies, dupes, and other useful idiots running around under the uh, FBI aegis or the DHS aegis or one of their many subcontractors who were revving up the crowd. These were called agent provocateurs. Generally, this is a phenomenon. And in the United States, they've perfected it down to a fine art. Um, So January 6th, if you really studied it and you're really honest about it, it is a federally steered, a federally run operation, January 6th. It was commandeered, steered, and turned into the mayhem that it was, which you saw the clips, the edited clips on TV, piled on with fake news afterwards about all the atrocities that took place on January 6th, which never took place on January 6th. The only person killed on January 6th was one of the protesters who was shot point blank uh, by a Secret Service agent or somebody with the Capitol Police. I'm not sure what his exact title was, but he shot and killed Ashley Babbitt. The media ignored that, didn't cover it, and still to this day doesn't give it any traction. That shows you how corrupt our partisan media is in the United States. Literally, it is at its lowest ebb ever. And I haven't seen a lot of improvement, quite frankly, uh, in the last couple of years. And this is the thing that you got to understand. And when things get really bad, 
you heard this a lot that look oh well look they just want their president to get in the democrats just want their guy to get in once they get their guy in they're they're going to calm down they're happy they're in power they're not going to be pushing so hard uh with the show trials with the political assassination campaigns and so forth when i say political assassination i mean assassinating people in a political fashion Okay. No, no, they didn't dial any of that down at all. They absolutely ramped it up after Biden was president because guess what? This is what happens. Fascists do as fascists do, and this is what they do. They clamp down on free speech. They try to game the information space. They go after their political opponents. They make up charges. They throw them in jail. This is what they do. And they accuse everybody of being uh, a foreign agent believe it or not so this is throughout history this it's this isn't just like confined to the united states and this current political epoch this has been the case throughout history different regimes we can look and see the same symptoms appear so it, n nothing's different here it's just the the biden administration really just embodies so many aspects of what a fascist regime actually looks like look at what this government is doing overseas declaring war on just about everybody imaginable, even threatening their own allies. Exactly. So this is what you've got. You've got a, well, by many people's accounts, an illegitimate regime uh, in the White House who are trying to uh, tie down and nail down all the very basic paths to power to prevent anybody from usurping them in the next election. So we'll see what happens. Uh, I, I'm... I'm going to be talking about this during the week. Hopefully later in the week, we're going to have a guest on. Great, good journalist Brian Puffell is going to talk about Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg's role. You remember last election, 2020, Mark Zuckerberg plowed uh, $350 million into, quote, election integrity, drop boxes, putting his own staff in key precincts in key swing states. Yep. That happened. So, you know, if anybody did that, anyone else did that, that would be called election interference. They'd be like, oh, we, we've got an oligarchy in America. Mark Quispin Miller talked about this. He's one of the most foremost authors on the topic of election fraud in America. We discussed this yesterday uh, with Mark, a fantastic resource on this subject. He's been following this over the years. And this is what you've got in America right now. You've got an oligarchy. You've got people buying in, meddling, interfering in the electoral process on so many different levels, many different levels you can't even imagine. And it's not like there isn't any evidence. There's mountains of evidence. Whether a judge will accept it and hear it, a politically appointed judge or a politically pressured judge, Democrat or Republican, they're all under extreme pressure not to hear these cases. And so many of them were dropped. The evidence is still there. Arizona is a good example. The theft of the 2022 election from Carrie Lake, who by far and away took the governor's contest in Arizona, but the state slow walked the vote count for a month. And it wasn't just Carrie Lake who lost uh, the attorney general, Abe Hamaday. There were other Blake Masters ran for U.S. Senate. He was within a margin of error, according to what, the Lake team had flagged up as uh, questionable votes. So you have the whole down ballot situation in Arizona. That's a whole election scratched off, illegitimate. But you have to accept the results because that's what the establishment dictate. 
So this is the situation you got. Ha have any of these things been fixed? All these problems from 2020, some of the ones that rolled over to 2022, and the abuse of mail-in ballots and getting uh, deadlines extended for elections, these things were unheard of before 2020. And now people talk about it as if it's common practice. So there's a deep level of corruption that is now baked into the system. And I'm not even talking about the media and the omission of reporting, not just Hunter Biden's laptop, but anything else that might challenge or undermine. Uh, let's just take Joe Biden, for instance. How many scandals? He's got a congressional investigation about his overseas crime dealings and all sorts of grift and graft in Ukraine, in China, vis-a-vis -vis his son Hunter. All of that's on the table, but if you highlight that, if you talk about it, if you get any traction with that, um, it will be deemed as Russian interference or Russian influence or malign foreign influence or Russian disinformation. Take your pick. The same game from 2016 to 2020, 2018, 2022, the midterms as well, and now we are in 2024, the same script will be rebooted by the media and big tech censorship will go into overdrive, guaranteed. The only platform that may be saved from the mass censorship and purging that's going to occur uh, will be X Twitter, if Elon Musk manages to stay uh, in control of that platform through the election cycle. That's not a certainty at this point. He is being pushed around. He is being dragged around by the collar at the moment by the Israeli lobby and the likes of Ben Shapiro. He's being dragged around doing struggle sessions in Tel Aviv and Poland. That's what's happening to Elon Musk. What's going to happen to him in the run-up to the election? Will he be able to withstand the pressure to censor, purge, and suppress and shadow ban uh, things that might challenge the incumbent party? That's the big question, because that was the issue in 2020. That was the big issue. And all experts agree that that was consequential in terms of the outcome, in terms of the election results. Just the Hunter Biden laptop story alone, bearing that, making it uh, you know, totally forbidden on Twitter and other platforms to post or talk about it, to even comment on potential election irregularities or say election fraud on YouTube, would garner you a strike, or even in some cases, too much of it would get your channel removed. And it did, probably for tens, of, if not hundreds, maybe thousands of channels and users been booted from these platforms for just that. Okay, I personally experienced this myself uh, with the, the previous Twitter regime under Jack Dorsey, which was like a massive government censorship farm, we found out from the Twitter files. I was off that platform for almost 18 months. Why? Because I questioned the nonsense about the Delta variant, and, and I, I warned that the vaccine rollout may be dangerous to fertility rates. Okay, Those two strikes got, my, got me a lifetime ban from this uh, Silicon Valley behemoth known as Twitter, and I wasn't let back on the platform until it was bought out by Musk. So I, I, I know what I'm talking about when it comes to this. I'm not exaggerating. This is something that's real, and unfortunately for many people, it's uh, all too real. 
and it's going to continue into the cycle. We're going to cover it. We're going to keep an eye on it. Let's take a break right now with TNT, today's news talk. I'm Patrick Hennings, your host. Stay right there. Basil Valentine on the other side. TNT's Timothy Shea. The race is essentially now Vivek Ramaswamy and Nikki Haley. Ron disappoints us. We'll be pulling his hat from the ring next. And the issue, as always, is why is the Nikki taking so much of the left's money? Well, maybe this will give you a little insight. She credits Hillary Clinton with inspiring her to enter politics, having attended a women's leadership summit at which Hillary spoke. And Nikki said, and I quote, I then had to decide whether I was a Republican or Democrat. See, Nikki has no core beliefs other than doing whatever her globalist masters, paymasters, want her to say. The Reckoning with Timothy Shea on today's News Talk TNT. Chief Division Counsel and DOJ have approved a no-knock breach. We want the subject to be on display, doing the walk of shame, full visual impact. Any questions? Are we becoming a police state? Government told American citizens they couldn't go to church on Sunday. For the first time in my life, I'm saying to myself, am I going to get a knock at the door? FBI warrant, come to the door now! The Patriot Act and FISA were used against Donald Trump. These individuals have commissioned the biggest propaganda play in U.S. history. They don't go after the people that rigged the election. They go after the people that want to find out what the hell happened. We don't need to have a crime. What we need is a person to look at. And then we go find out what crime you did. FBI! Our focus is shifting. Our main priority as a bureau is going to be domestic terrorism. It really paints anybody who's right of center. If you're a pro-life, pro-family Catholic, they define you as radical. These are anti-government. We have freedom of religion and freedom of speech. Violent extremists, and they must be dealt with. We can do anything we want. A hoax about carbon dioxide in the climate has caused a global energy and economic disaster. Today's News Talk, TNT Radio. All right, folks, welcome back to the program. We're still in the first hour of this live broadcast. Thank you, everybody, in the TNT chat room. Great to see you guys in there. That's the little red bubble in the lower right-hand corner of your browser screen. When you go to tntradio.live, you'll see it there. Uh, there's a great chat community in there. We've had some incredible numbers in there in recent days. I think we eclipsed the 140 mark. Uh, that's the highest I've seen it in there. So we've got a growing community. Love everybody in there. There's a lot of energy uh, in our TNT chat room big hello big thanks to everybody working the margins there and i want to bring on to the stage right now basil valentine our intrepid correspondent trusted political commentator is on the line right now basil how are you very well thank you patrick good to be with you it's great to have you basil and uh i don't know if you've been following uh the situation that closely in, in the last 24 hours but there's been some pretty uh 
you know, I, I'm going to say shocking developments in recent days uh, in in the Middle East. Um, certainly, things have not let up in Gaza. Khan Yunus, uh, right right down in the south, the re- re- refugee camp has been invaded by something like six or eight units of the IDF or the IOF, depending on the name you use. But uh, it's pretty shocking, and you know these are some of the most vulnerable people um, in the Gaza Strip who are living in these refugee camps. Unbelievable situation, Basil. Uh, yeah, and only getting worse. There's a really harrowing report from a doctor in what remains of the hospital in Khan Yunis um, about the hellish situation there. But I want, first of all, just to highlight the disgraceful reporting in this particular instance of the BBC. Yesterday, the lead story was Israeli father fears hostage daughter was sexually abused. Uh, This is the father of one of the soldiers who was captured. And this story relegated the dozens reported killed, reported killed, note, not murdered, as battle rages in Gaza's Khan Yunis. That story about dozens of Palestinians being murdered by the invading Israeli army is apparently secondary to this single Israeli's father's fears. Uh, that mm. was yesterday. Uh, And today, of course, comes the news that 24 Israeli soldiers were killed when they were attacked, attempting to detonate an entire city block in Khan Yunis. Mm. Their deaths, of course, are considered far more important than the hundreds of Palestinian deaths on the same day. They are secondary. And the uh, BBC front page of the news is emblazoned with an Israeli flag. Now, this is beyond disgraceful. We are running out of words to describe the depravity with which the BBC are describing events in Gaza. It is absolutely obscene. The message from the Western media is clear the shameful downplaying of the lives of Palestinian people. Well, some lives are worth more than others, according to the BBC, apparently. Well, this has always been the case, and we've mentioned it before, that the primacy of Israeli suffering, and it's why Elon Musk went to Auschwitz with Ben Shapiro. Um, Tweet of the day, I have to say, comes from Omar Fodar, Uh, an Egyptian, I believe, uh, who accurately pointed out it really is something to visit Auschwitz and decide that we need to systematically kill more people. Surely anybody who went to Auschwitz would be calling for a ceasefire, regardless of their national or political affiliation. But the situation uh, in Khan Yunis is absolutely desperate. The whole area has been completely surrounded. Um, uh, I've seen pictures on X of uh, an entire Palestinian family incinerated alive inside their car, attempting to flee further south. Other families, uh, cars filled with belongings, desperately trying to flee south. 
The carnage continues, and yet the UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak, when asked uh, in a debate on the Red Sea situation this morning, whether or not he condemned Zippy Hotovelli's uh, claim that every building in Gaza is a legitimate target, he refused to do so and continued to come out with the usual two-state nonsense. Sunak is one of the worst Zionists ever to occupy number 10 downing street yes we we are we are we're pursuing a two-state solution we are very much interested in pursuing a two-state solution uh that, that that old trope how long have they been pushing that one out what 25 years oh 70 years but the um the, you know there have been some developments of sort of political uh, diplomatic significance even in the last few hours um, with the EU foreign ministers saying there may be consequences for Israel if it rejects the two-state solution. The European Union blocks foreign ministers meeting yesterday said they were going to step up pressure on Netanyahu to reverse his resistance to a two-state solution. This, of course, in spite of the fact that he seems to be repeating that every day. Um, so so let me ask you, uh, you oh, hold on for a second. Hold on for a second. Let me ask you this, Basil. Do you think this is a little bit of a Kansas City shuffle here from the EU? Are, are they are they creating a kind of controlled opposition uh, paradigm here where the EU saying we demand you know to be look like, to look like they're doing something we we, we demand that Netanyahu take the two-state solution seriously uh the EU is not happy about this knowing full well that it's a cul-de-sac what do you think yeah absolutely Borrell said we have to stop talking about the peace process and start talking about the two-state solution process uh, that's what he said at the meeting of the Council of the European Union's Foreign Affairs. But uh, it's all just kick it into the high weed stuff. It really is. Uh, it's in, until they, until they the say, in, in, until these people like Burrell just bangs his fist on the on the pulpit, demanding a ceasefire, demanding that Israel stop the genocide, stop slaughtering civilians in gaza until that happens i don't want to hear anything from these people about a two-state solution or whatever i mean it's just ridiculous that they've got their priorities so screwed up it is just unbelievable well absolutely i mean uh, you know gaza's been completely decimated people don't seem to be really uh, focusing on the fact that every single mosque every single school Every single hospital has been either completely leveled, as has 70% of residential buildings in the north. You know, so this billions in reconstruction required uh, before anybody can stop talking about political solutions. But uh, yes, the Middle East side points out that in the in the UK, the Conservatives and uh, Labour Party have essentially merged into a single pro-war party with the only meaningful uh, voices of opposition from within Parliament coming from a tiny number of members of the uh, Scottish National Party and uh, minority ethnic members of the Labour Party. What do they hope to achieve? 
What do they hope to achieve? Is it just uh, arms sales? Is it just keeping the, you know, keeping the money flowing? Is it because they're, 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 they can't pretend to be achieving any actual objectives like geopolitically? I mean, it's just like we are propping up uh, a regime in the Middle East that is being rejected by the by the rest of the world. Um, I, I, how 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 much worse can you be in terms of being on the wrong side of history on on this well, situation? I, I, I agree. I mean, it's we, I, we'd all thought, Patrick, we were talking about this a month, six weeks ago. That you know, it appeared as if a worm was beginning to turn. People were asking how many Palestinian children have to be murdered before you will demand a ceasefire. And we felt we were getting near and the mm. pressure was building. Uh, but that doesn't seem to be the case anymore. It's very much a case of carry on regardless where the Israelis are concerned. In the United States, uh, Senator Chris Van Hollen has come out and called for a ceasefire. Um, things, you know, seem to be moving at a absolute snail's pace in that direction. There has been talk uh, because the families of some of the hostages are so irate. Uh, indeed, they invaded a a meeting, a um, committee meeting in the Knesset uh, day before yesterday, uh, demanding the uh, release of the hostages via a negotiated solution. And there is talk of a two-month pause in the fighting during which all the hostages would be released, uh, whether or not anything is going to come of that talk. And what on earth a two-month pause looks like if then this bombardment continues, well, that, that's anybody's guess. Two month pause. So there, you know, in terms of Israel, it's two month pause. Two month pause of ground invasions, but they'll continue bombing uh, from the air. And no doubt that the the Palestinian resistance factions will be uh, retaliating with salvos uh, of missiles and rockets and so forth. So uh, this isn't really. I don't think they're really serious about uh, a pause or a ceasefire or anything like that. Needs to happen like months ago. The fact that it's dragged yep. on this long is just really a blight on the international system that we've got the or the sorry the rules-based international order pardon me uh where the rules are set by he who has the gold that's the united states at the moment so uh, i don't know i'm not holding my breath uh that anything's going to happen here other than i think israel's uh, digging its political grave uh at the moment uh, the longer this goes on domestically yeah, certainly with wider publics around the world. Uh, and of course, the on the ground, the famine situation uh, is only getting worse. Abia Atefa, the World Food Programme's senior Middle East spokeswoman, told a press conference by video from Cairo today that the situation in Gaza is slipping every day into a much more catastrophic situation with a looming right. threat of widespread famine. That's right. So, look, uh, we'll keep an eye on this. Appreciate you, Basil, for keeping us up to date on the breaking news here in the Middle East. Very important. We'll be talking about this in the second hour as well with our guest, Kit Clarenberg, fantastic journalist. Look forward to that discussion. Basil, take care. We will talk to you very soon. Thank you, Patrick.
There he goes. That's Basil Valentine, our intrepid correspondent, folks. Let's take a break here. We're going to switch gears into high finance and geopolitics with Blake Lovewell on the other side. So you want to be where you're going to be in the next five minutes. We've got a lot more coming. Blake Lovewell and more coming up after this. <laughs> My baby's back from the West Coast. <laughs> Hear those pictures that you asked for for your school project? First day of school, cute as a button. <laughs> so long ago. Oh, here's Grandma Florence after that flood wiped out the whole neighborhood. Sometimes I just cannot believe all the storms we've gone through here. I can only hope that we'll be able to leave this house to you one day, baby. You're our legacy. Planning for these disasters will make sure we're safe. And it's the best way to protect that legacy. Ah, those <laughs> beans smell heavenly. Mm -hmm. Give mom a little credit. You know what? We should make an emergency communication plan. That way we're ready this year. Oh, great idea. At my dorm, we have emergency kits for earthquakes and wildfires, but I'm sure there's something more local I can send you with the link. Okay. Smart. I'm coming to share with you guys. Protect your legacy. Plan for natural disasters today. Visit ready.gov forward slash plan. From weather and traffic reports, to news of political developments. We turn to journalists for the information we need to live our daily lives. Journalists around the world providing news that is essential for democracy, for personal freedom, and for safety and stability. Yet their ability to report freely and safely is under attack like never before. So many journalists are paying with their lives. They faced exponential risks, and they've already paid a heavy toll. Death threats, online harassment, and physical attacks are becoming a daily experience of journalists in all countries. We just want people to be safe, to be able to get our readers the information that they need to make informed decisions. They checked my phone and realized that it was Pegasus. I feel myself like I'm naked at the street. These charges were politicized from the start. Facts win. Truth wins. Justice wins. C'est énorme pour moi d'être là, d'être libre. Je que je m'y attendais pas du tout. Stand with the free press. Stand with journalists whose reporting won't be silenced. Press freedom is your freedom. I tell my son, I love you every single day. Now my dad has never said that to me. Not because he doesn't love me, but because culturally it wasn't comfortable for him. Now that he's a grandfather, he says I love you to my son every time he sees him. My advice to all the fathers out there, Forget the cultural restrictions. They grow up way too fast for you to waste even a single precious moment. Hi, I'm Susan Lucci. I never thought about heart disease until I had my own heart event. At first, like so many other women out there, I ignored my symptoms. A slight pressure on my chest, shortness of breath. I thought, I don't have time to be sick. 
I had a, a 90% blockage in my main artery and a 75% blockage in the adjacent artery. I received two stents in my arteries, stents developed through research funded by the American Heart Association. Those stents saved my life. I'm so grateful to the American Heart Association. Their research helped save my life. I can enjoy life with my children, my grandchildren, and my friends. Please, listen to your heart. The only reason I'm here today is because I did. Learn more about the American Heart Association's life-saving work at helpheart.org. What do I love about riding? It's the thrill. The excitement. Riding gives me a sense of freedom. I feel so connected to the road. Riding is like therapy to me. It makes me feel alive. Love riding? Back off. Meet Norm. He lives with anxiety. But with the help of this latest innovation from Be Normal, he can be normal. Just like everyone else. With the swipe of a finger, you can project happiness, confidence, machismo. Why settle for being real when you can be normal? The Normal Maker. New from Be Normal. This item doesn't really work because there's no such thing as normal. We're all different. What we like, how our brains work. In fact, one in five of us live with mental illness. Don't filter who you are. Start by talking to someone you trust. And remember, there is no normal. Patrick Henningsen and TNT. All right, folks, welcome back. We're still in the first hour of this live broadcast. Thank you, Basil Valentine, for those updates from the Middle East. Uh, things have not calmed down there. In fact, if you look at the casualty numbers, you look at the people killed on a daily basis, some of the worst days in terms of uh, dead civilians, dead Palestinians killed by the IDF uh, have been in the last couple of days. So consider that over the last hundred or so days, the last three months, that some of the worst atrocities have taken place just this week so very shocking indeed and uh, we don't see much policy change from our government leaders uh not in the u.s not in britain not in europe they seem to be uh, more or less where they were uh, three months ago which is really in a sad indictment a damning indictment in fact uh to the immoral position that these governments have adopted siding with the israeli government who are conducting openly conducting a genocide right in front of our eyes it is uh, absolutely incredible incredible that so many people are blasé about it and think that it's justified and uh, quite frankly don't care uh, I think it speaks to where we're at as a society uh, in the 21st century. Um, it is really, really regrettable. You are absolutely on the wrong side of history, folks, uh, if that's where you're at. I know our listeners aren't there, though. We have some of the greatest uh, listeners. Our audience is very much on the pulse of what's going on. They understand what's at, what's at stake. They understand who's in the right, who's in the wrong on this. We appreciate our audience, everybody in the TNT chat community. You guys have been stalwarts all the way through this crisis, as you have been through previous crises. It's not your first rodeo, we know. That's why you're on point, and uh, that's why we love our audience, our listeners, our viewers at TNT. Today's news talk, hello to everybody also watching on the X platform. We've retweeted the live stream from TNT, which is usually going 24-7, so you can just tap into the live broadcast on X and catch us during broadcast times. Then after the broadcast times, we'll remove that, bring it back for the next show. 
I want to change gears right now. We're going to talk about uh, the global economy, uh, but also how it uh, clashes and overlaps with geopolitics with our guest, Blake Lovewell, on the line right now. Blake, uh, hello. How are you? Hey, Patrick, and hey, uh, listeners out there. Um, yeah, it's great to be with you. Um, yeah, it's, it's a distressing situation in the Middle East, but was it ever thus? Um, and yeah, as, as long as we can keep a level head and keep, um, you know, keep all the tabs open, uh, you know, I'm not talking about our browser, I'm talking about the mental tabs, uh, things we're watching and keeping uh, notes on, um, then we can get a good idea of the, the sort of um, general picture. Um, I have been thinking more and more that we're in a situation of world war, although the uh, the meme World War Three is very uh i would say played out we've been we've been a, a world war ever since um world war ii never really finished um we just had a bit of a pause and then we went into the cold war which lasted a good number of decades and then the cold war allegedly ended but yet still the eponymous russia is the big enemy at least uh, on the ukraine battlefront against uh, uh europe and the eu um you know the eu is not europe but they often like to present it like that um, and so, yeah, keeping abreast of what's going on in the Middle East is, is really vital for just being informed and then being informed is um, the best thing you can do to, uh, um, you know, prepare yourselves and and, and like uh, to be strong against that sort of thing. And I thought um, your video today on Twitter slash X um, about Yemen really breaks it down in, in, in a very short way, a concise way, the uh, the last decade of the conflict in Yemen. And I'm a big fan of that kind of thing, breaking things down that are um, difficult to kind of understand, especially if you haven't been following them. I mean, Yemen was in the headlines yeah, nine, nine or so years ago. Um, there was Saudi Arabia, you know, which is also the US's puppet in the region, as well as other actors puppet in the region, um, pursuing a war on Yemen. And then there was the famine in Yemen. And then there was some, you know, uh, publicity about that. And then, you know, nothing changes. And the headlines turn over once again. Maybe it's the weather today um, in the UK. The weather makes the headlines, but uh, war and atrocities don't. Um, but yeah, whatever it is, um, the, the daily news won't cover. That's the kind of thing probably that we do need to be paying attention to. And why is Yemen important? Well, at the moment, it's because it's, well, you know, it's, it's strategically placed um, uh, on on like a, a bottleneck for global shipping. And if they can control that to some degree, they can throttle um, uh, Israel's imports and exports. And Israel's a big economic power or it relies on um, economics and trade. Uh, particularly in weapons and military uh, technology um, for its uh, uh, global power. And so um, a tiny Yemeni force in comparison to the forces that are against it, the US and Israel, has managed to have this outsized um, response. And uh, as you rightfully called it, the Yemens have have been successfully blockading Israel uh, and sanctioning Israel. They won't use those terms in, in the media, but it's the exact same uh, tool that cuts both ways, sanctions against Russia, sanctions against this, that and the other. Well, Yemeni, uh, Yemeni forces, the Houthis, or the, uh, as you correctly name them, the, uh, uh, wait, do correct me, what's the name of the Yemeni forces? And Ansar, Ansar Allah, Ansar Allah. Ansar Allah. And is that Allah mm. the name of God? Uh, it is. It is. Much like Hezbollah okay. is the party of God, uh, this is uh, the, the same thing. It's, it's look and see God. That's the name of their movement. So it's uh, see, definitely yeah. got a religious, got a big, big religious component to it. Yeah. 
and I study these things and I still get the name wrong. So, I mean, you know, that shows, that shows the stage we're at. So, um, that's well, you're, you're, I think you're, at so least you're, at least you're trying, I mean, Blake, uh, cause the Western media and politicians, they say the Houthis, which is totally meaningless. Uh, mm -hmm. like, like it's some kind of Houthi tribe. Uh, Al Houthi was like the spiritual intellectual leader, uh, who founded the movement. And so like, it's ridiculous. Everybody mm -hmm. after they're going to call them the Houthis, but um, mm -hmm. this is how the West works, and they do this all the time. They're trying to demean, to marginalize what is uh, a pretty powerful uh, political and also resistance movement um, yeah. in the region. And they're trying to, you know, dial it down, make it sound like it's just kind of fringe tribal faction or something like that. And they, they're actually very powerful, and they govern the majority of Yemen at the moment. So the country yeah. is segregated because of the because of the US uh, backed war over the last 10 years. Yeah, and um yeah, well it's an outsized, you know, uh a capability they have being uh, that position that on that bottleneck it has enabled them to harass um certain shipping uh routes that are used by Israel and also by uh US as as well as the rest of the world uh for trade but the rest of the world you know i.e China um you know Russia you know the other big superpowers that use shipping lanes they're able to continue unfettered trade with the world but Israel and anyone tightly uh related to Israel um the uh uh forces are able to um control that by putting them off i mean mesk one of the biggest um shipping liners in the world has said they're going to reroute all of their ships uh, around africa and this adds about a week to a um a, what was a two-week journey i think um from you know china one of them you know, shanghai being one of the main industrial ports on the coast of china uh, it's usually about two weeks to get to europe to, uh, particularly to germany people often cite the example of um, tesla's factories in germany but i'm sure there's other industry in the world other than tesla but if you only look at um yeah, Twitter slash X, you'll think that Tesla's the only company that makes anything or does anything in the world. Um, but yeah, there's a whole world out there going on and uh, and the um, Yemeni forces have been able to uh, impact that. And then um, adding a week onto this uh, journey then adds a massive amount of cost. Um, we had the kind of uh, supply chain shock during the COVID era, which was where people were locked indoors, uh, shops were ordered to close. Or there was a lot of different um, policies being enacted, totalitarian policies around the world, which impacted supply chains, which um, the repercussions of which were felt uh, like ripples uh, throughout the next six months, eight months to a year. Uh, and even further on, people still cite COVID uh, as one of the causes of um, inflation. But we know, having scratched deeper beneath the surface, one of the greatest causes of inflation in that period was actually central bank activity, uh, namely tied in with their governments printing tons of money to keep certain industries open. You know, your Amazons, your multinational uh, corporate giants were allowed to stay open. Your mom and pop businesses, they were closed down. Um, and all of those uh, businesses were put on some sort of life support. And that was paid for by uh, rampant money printing. And what does that do? It dilutes the money supply. Supply. There's loads more money around. Um, and we saw in that era a bit of a boom in crypto. We saw a boom in stocks despite productivity falling. So everybody's locked indoors, you know, industries are shuttered, um, yet more and more money's thrown into the system. Um, now we've reached a point in the last six months where those central banks have had to um 
you know, what they call it is actions to fight inflation, um, which, you know, all of their words are kind of covering the real, um, you know, truth behind the story. But um, they've inflation has got to a point where they have to actually do something because it's starting to affect um, the bondholders, the people who actually back, um, you know, national economies, uh, big actors and stock markets. Also, um, you know, all of the friends in these uh, boys clubs who are making uh, millions and millions, the people who got way richer during the COVID era, all of them have started uh, seeing a bit of uh, damage being wrought to their uh, top line or their bottom line. And now they've, uh, you know, they put pressure on the Fed and the Federal Reserve um, in its capacity, uh, you know, to of the rich uh, basically has to um, change its policy. So they've been ramping up inflation, uh, sorry, interest rates. Um, interest rates are the rate at which they will um, uh, reward you for holding treasuries. So, you know, if if you if their debt isn't very healthy looking, they have to pay you more money to hold it. So um, if the Federal Reserve uh, or the US Treasury wants people to back its debt when it's creating all of this free money, um, it has to offer a juicy um, rate over the two year, five year or 10 year period. Um, I think particularly important at the moment of these short term um bonds over the two-year period because the long-term bonds it's anybody's guess as to what will happen in 10 years to the pax americana Um, so everybody's really just focusing on the two-year bond but that's really bringing uh all of these um volatile different um uh aspects of economics uh in and they're all involved now so there's there's kind of a a real battle going on the federal reserve is is really a pinch because they want to uh on the one hand cut interest rates because that uh slashes the cost of um you know repayment on debts and uh so many corporate giants are going to go under if the debts can't go can't get paid um but if they slash the interest rates or if they pull the interest rates down then the um inflation just gets out of hand and uh, as we're going into an election the powers that be that are all you know in the same club they want um they want inflation to come down they want the economy to look healthy they want the stock market to be swelling up as if that's a real measure of economics um economic health of a nation. I mean, right now, the stock markets are at all time highs, but um, economic expectations amongst the sort of, you know, we might call them the peasant class, but we're included in that. It's not derogatory. Um, That's how the feudal overlords see us as the peasants. But um, expectations in our kind of um, league of of play are all time lows, even though the stock market is doing great. So what's going on there? Well, inflation is still really high. Stock markets are actually raiding something called the reverse repo facility, which is uh, a kind of a place where um, money markets can hide their money overnight, a sort of short term uh, Federal Reserve, um, you know, account whereby you can just store your money for a bit and then pull it out when you need it. Well, that's kind of like the uh, short term savings of the economy. And that's being raided more and more. It's it's gone down in, to the tune of trillions. Um, and I, a metaphor I liken this to is when, um, when the body... Uh, starves it starts by eating the fat and then once the fat runs out it starts eating the muscle um and and i think the the economy is at the stage of starving whereby it's eaten all of the fat that's the uh the kind of easy money that's the ftx's the cryptos the you know the um the risky assets and now it's moving to the fundamental um, assets that run the economy the us treasuries are in trouble and the reverse repo market is uh diminishing and so uh uh, I think we're in for some very tricky times and I've got a bit of a timetable if you want to go into it. 
Yeah, well, let's go to that timetable in a minute, but I'll just back up what you're saying with the article that uh, we've got up at 21stCenturyWire.com. And definitely there is going to be still uh, kind of inflated consumer confidence because, uh, as you said, uh, interest rates are high, cost of borrowing is high, um, but a lot of people don't have a lot of stuff in terms of consumers into the money market, so they're spending that money, increasing their credit. That's going to cause consumer confidence. It's going to give the illusion of economic growth, at least in the short term, and it's going to mm -hmm. keep those all-time stock market highs looking good for, for now, for now. But uh, this is not a long-term solution in terms of economic uh, fundamentals, Blake, as, as you're sort of alluding to here. So mm. uh, while the party looks like it can continue for the moment, it is still a stagflationary environment. Uh, and you just can't get around that. Gas prices are down in America. Uh, I, I don't know how that happened, that miracle, but I'm sure there's a little bit of pressure being applied at the highest levels during the election year. I'm sure the incumbent wants to see those gas prices come down, Joe Biden. But uh, we're down to $3 a gallon at the moment, sort of hovering mm -hmm. around there. That's a big difference from, you know, 5 $6 a gallon uh, just in the last year. So um, there are some, uh, hopefully, some positive things there. But I don't think they're really fundamentally positive, Blake. I think this is just window dressing, staving mm -hmm. off uh, the potential disaster that everybody knows is coming with over leveraging. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, let, let's uh, deal with the oil point sort of by itself. I mean, um, uh, oil, uh, gasoline prices, which in the UK is petrol prices, uh, in the UK have stayed exactly the same for probably the last year or two. There's been a variance of about 1%. So we haven't seen the same in the UK as in the US, which means um, this is a US uh, cent uh, centered drop in petrol gasoline prices. And that's something that really has an impact on uh, consumers or let's say uh, focus it more on voters. Uh, it has uh, people vote with their wallet. And uh, when gasoline prices go up, that equals bad politicians. So, you know, um, there are ways to deal with that. And one of them, one of the largest ways is the strategic reserve that the US holds. Um, the US holds, uh, you know, millions of barrels of oil in strategic reserves in case, you know, something drastic happens and their oil's uh, turned off at Saudi Arabia or wherever it, it may be, they have a reserve to get them through the next few months through any supply shock. Well, Biden throughout his presidency has been diminishing and diminishing and diminishing the reserve uh, to the point where it barely uh, exists anymore. It's at, at very minimal levels. And that's one way he can introduce cheaper oil into the system. Uh, the second factor on oil to, to finish off the point would be that um, Saudi Arabia have been um, pumping extra barrels and keeping the price low um, because they want to dominate the market. If you can um, provide the most oil for the cheapest price, people are going to buy from you. And if you get those contracts um, you know, tied in for the next two to five years, like we're saying, these uh, two to five year kind of contracts, whether it be in treasuries or in oil, are very important. And Saudi Arabia have kept the oil price uh, artificially low. Um, but there's, there's a lot of... Um, you know, oil is also the biggest point uh, of contention or the biggest, um, you know, train coming down the tracks. It's uh, for the Middle East conflict because, you know, Middle East is where most of the oil is still focused, despite massive reserves in Venezuela, um, elsewhere in the world. Um, the Middle East is kind of the the center for the global oil trade. Instability in the Middle East leads to um, higher oil prices. Um, and there are predictions, you know, there are wild predictions on the economy right now because we're in this um, extremely complicated uh, period of risk. Um, people can predict um, oil prices doubling 
in the next year. And I've seen those from like uh, valid economists. Not that that really means anything because I don't trust economists um, predicting the future. It might be interesting how they analyze the past, but predicting the future, you know, that's for the magicians, uh, for the sages and, and the uh, uh, and the spiritual folks. Um, but the economists uh, aren't often very successful uh, uh, predicting the future. Um, and then on the point, yeah, you said about regular savers, they might have some, they might see a boost from the stock market and that might look good, but uh, real savers uh, have had their savings demolished. Um, the regular consumer has seen most of their, say, on average, I'm talking sort of average figures. Um, most people who have like personal savings, most households have been eating through those savings through this uh, year or so of um, inflation. Um, and what that means is there's no safety net. So people rely more on credit. Uh, more on riskier assets. There's a higher likelihood of defaulting on mortgages or on debts. And when uh, debts are defaulted on, the whole world economy is built on debts. Um, but the fact that those debts will be repaid and when they stop being repaid, suddenly the buck stops, uh, the Ponzi scheme collapses, uh, and you can have this, uh, you know, butterfly effect from a very small amount of collapse all the way up. In China right now, they're seeing something um, similar to that where bad debts were expiring at the wrong time. Then there's a stock market crash and now it looks like a contagion. And you know how China deals with a contagion or an alleged contagion. <laughs> they shut everything down um, and then they just introduce massive central central control. Um, so right now they're just pumping uh, yuan into the economy, but at a very small rate because China... Um, they want pressure on the U.S. economy as a rival to the U.S., despite their kind of uh, uh, alliances through Biden and, and other stuff we won't get into today. But um, they want to keep the economy on its uh, in the starving mode because China could easily just turn on the spigot of yuan and um, the U.S.'s uh, problems would all go away because China can print as much money as it wants because it has um, resources, it has assets and it has control of a manufacturing population of the world, which um, backs its current. So uh, also it has um, gold. Um, so China can back up its promises. So if it chose to just, carry out a go ahead, just quickly, but yeah, just quickly, Blake, before we wrap up, we're um, going yeah. up to the end of the segment. Um, what What is the you know, people have said there's a tr potential trillion dollar impact um, of the disruption of shipping through the Red Sea uh, as a result of the United States declaring war in Yemen or they blaming mm -hmm. on the the Yemenis, the Houthis, of course. What what do you think is the impact? I know this is the Straits of Malacca, the Babo Mendeb Straits. These are the busiest shipping lanes in the world. Mm -hmm. um, do you think that's an accurate estimation? That's a trillion dollar interruption of the global economy. Yeah, you, you if you wanted to put a figure on it, you could easily say a trillion. You could back that up with statistics. It, it could be two trillion. It could be ten trillion. You can you can add zeros because there's so many multiplier effects. Um, I would say just like curse, cursory glance at it. It's not just the US declaring war, it's the US, UK, Netherlands, Bahrain, among others declaring war, um, because all of those were using their military resources and we shouldn't uh, hide away from that fact and and just easily throw it on the old America. You know, what is this, the 57th country they've tried to regime change again. There are very precise actors involved and, and I'm in the UK and this isn't taking place in my name. And, uh, you know, we've been talking economics, but if we wanted to talk war, I'd be talking peace. But um, yes, uh, to put to put a number on it, you could easily say a trillion. As I say, the multiplier effect is so large. And and right now we're, we're looking at a scheme where um, there are so many high risk assets all converging at a similar time. 
um, that you know nobody can predict what's uh, over the event horizon. Um, so in times of instability, you know it's it's time to figure out what what the truth is and what real stuff you can hang on to. Uh, when you're in a storm, you need uh, a beacon or a lighthouse to follow. You said the magic word there, event horizon. We're reaching our event horizon for the first hour of this live broadcast. Thank you very much, Blake Lovewell, for that insightful commentary on the economy, on the Red Sea, and everything that's affecting your pocketbooks right now in the beginning of 2024. We'll bring you a lot more of this next week as well. Thank you, Blake Lovewell. Peace out. Here he goes, ladies and gentlemen. Big thank you to Blake. Big thank you to Basil Valentine in the first hour. We've got a big hour coming up. Kit Clarenberg, fantastic journalist. We're going to go deep in the Middle East, geopolitics and everything else. Stay right there. A lot more to come. Mm -hmm.